So, when was your last checkup? Oh no, not you. Although that's important too, but when was your last vehicle checkup? When it comes to service, nobody knows your Chevy better than your local Chevy dealer. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule an appointment today. I'm Raleigh James, and this is WGN Radio and 888-876-5593, 8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E, will get you to me. And this hour, it'll get you to sociologist Dr. Richard Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Raleigh. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we normally, I went to school in the good old days, you know, when women were there for their MRS degree and guys were there <laughs> to get out of Vietnam. And uh, you would invariably have sociologists major, sociology, and we'd always say, what are you going to do with that? Well, you've done something with it and not only teach in school, but done more. So tell me, if you're not a professor, what else do you do with a sociology degree? Well, if you live in a society, you're you're well equipped. I think um, you've got you've got the skills. We need we need people. Every organization, every firm, every institution, every country needs um, some people who know how the world works, know how societies work together, how people and groups interact, and what the tensions are. You know, kind of what we're living through right now. Um, yeah, it's it's a great uh, background to have. For just about anything, we hear from business uh, leaders all the time saying they 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 like so- sociology majors, social science majors, humanities majors because they're equipped. They know how to problem solve. They know how to think outside the box. So that's what we do. We're we may not be uh, filling out worksheets that often, but we are teaching them how to think. Well, you know, it's interesting. Most of us, I think, took uh, sociology 101, you know, when we were in school. It was one of those humanities electives that was pretty common. And I remember at the time, uh, in the dark ages, thinking, well, what will I ever use this for? And it turned out that with the advent of social media, what keeps going through my mind almost every day was the concept of the group mind being mm-hmm. more emotional and less intelligent. And at the time we were learning it, it was usually with the backdrop of uh, fascism or Nazism or something. But but today, mm-hmm. when I look at social media, I see this as the group mind come to life. And that's truly scary. Yeah, social media is can at times be scary. It's, uh, we are living through fascinating times. As a sociologist, as a as a professional, this is um, this is what you know, kind of what we live for. This is what why we study what we study, try to figure this stuff out. Like, what does it all mean, and what are the implications? And as you mentioned, I'm not too familiar with that particular theory. Maybe we moved on, but the groupthink idea, the the sort of the way that we uh, collectively. Uh, don't always make the most rational decisions um, that might be rational for individuals or vice versa, actually. There's a lot of decisions that might be rational for us as individuals. That's typically what I focus on that don't yeah. uh, ultimately are not rational for the society, for the group. It hurts the group. Um, might be good for you and your short-term interests, but... Um, it's not always the best thing for the, the collective. I think that when we were first learning it, we were thinking of more of the mob mentality, the, the, the crowds uh, and, and people swept up into, into the zeitgeist of the moment. And we'd see mm. that, you know, emotions would rise and intellect would fall. And the reason I think about that when I look at uh, Facebook or any of the other uh, online social forums is that 
it seems like it emboldens people in ways that were previously not available. Now, part of that is the relative anonymity of it, but part of it is also that, for instance, on Facebook, whatever your life view is, your friends are probably reflecting that, that you've self-selected that group. Therefore, you're emboldened in however you feel. And depending on however that is, that can be a real danger, what people are emboldened in. And I wonder if there's much study about that. Um, well, that, I mean, what we're, and the bigger, pulling back one step, I think you, you, we'd call this a, a moment of cultural lag, um, where the, the technology that we have, we've developed uh, for whatever reasons. And we have, you know, it's amazing what we can do with the phone that we couldn't do 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, they're no longer connected to the wall. Um, but it takes human societies much longer to figure out how to use them appropriately. Really. So we developed the technology much more quickly um, and change that technology and, quote-unquote, improve on that technology much more quickly than we can absorb as a society. Like, what, what are the norms surrounding that? How should we behave with that? How should we use it? How should we not use it? You know, the, a classic example was the, the nuclear bomb. It's like we had the capacity to build a, a dangerous weapon. Um, but, I, you know, it still remains to be seen if we have, if we should have, or if um, we know really how to prevent any, you know, catastrophe from right. happening. But I think that the, in terms of social media um, and the way that we have access to it, it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's, we are in the midst of it. We're in this sort of in the middle of the stream. We're trying to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, try to make sense of it. And it's hard to do when you're in the middle of the, in the, of the storm. But I think, you know, w- one way or the other, for good or for ill, we'll, we'll figure out, you know, we'll e- either we'll tamp down on the, the access, we'll figure out how to police it a little better. Uh, so we, you know, stop a lot of this misinformation that's being perpetuated and the siloing effect that, you know, a lot of others are talking about where we just get into our, our echo chamber, our bubbles. And uh, so I think that, I think we're, we're in the middle of it. That's not going to, I mean, we don't have the answers yet, but I think we're seeing some of the consequences uh, of that dynamic right now. I mean, good and bad. I mean, in some yeah. ways we are, we are, um, able to mobilize people and spread wor- the word when we need to, but sometimes that word isn't really, um, shouldn't be listened to perhaps. And, uh, and so it, it cuts both ways. I agree that wisdom lags technology tremendously, and not only for the social aspects we're talking about, but the relative cheapness of storage memory and things of this nature is just fertilizer to governments who want to store every piece of data on every individual. And I don't know how much talk there has been about regulating that. I know people have weighed in on the on the social aspects, but in terms of a society that that literally is almost cradle to grave, keeping track of every one of us. Uh, is anybody looking at maybe that's not a great idea? Well, certainly this is a, a concern for those who are on the right, um, I think, politically or ideologically. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the capacity is there. I mean, we have agencies within the uni- uh, within the um, uh, government, our, our government, um, that are, highly secretive, well-funded. We don't know what the funding is because it's not public. It's all secret for, in the name of national security. And that's an age-old question, whether or not we have the computing capacity to store everyone's data. Um, it really comes down to the question, how much are we willing to, to give them? 
and um, give a government. And we do. We willingly give the government um, power, and we give them power in times when they, they got, garnered most of that power after 9-11. People were afraid, and they were told that we have to protect you, and so they said, okay. And our representative said so, and so now they've got this apparatus that we don't know that much about. Um, but I want to I want to balance that out a little bit because one of the things I've been thinking about recently is, and maybe this is a, a terrible way to uh, represent sociology uh, on your show, but um, we, the amount of data, so sociologically val- valuable data that corporations have, these social media companies, the Facebooks, the, the Google, these mm-hmm. folks, they are gathering an immense amount of data about our movements, about what we, you know, search for and all that stuff. And sociologists are sitting at the universities trying to, you know, pass uh, institutional review board um, to do a, a small study of 12 people. Um, you know, th- they have such such firepower. I guess when if that if that data was in the hands of sociologists or social scientists, um, uh, we'd we'd find out a lot. Um, and I'm sure they are as well. But it's proprietary and it's in their hands. And they, you know, they're under no obligation to share that or um, you know do good with it. They can use it to sell more product and get us to want more product. I guess. I agree with you a thousand percent on that. And of course, the the loophole for the people like Facebook is that, well, it's free. We're not charging you anything. And uh, of course, uh, the price is uh, all, of, all of your data. But I was very interested. What you said was you felt that the fear was coming from the right. Now, traditionally, I would think that the left would be more likely, if you had to say it was a right or left issue, that the left would be more likely to be concerned. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could go, we could we could trace that back through history, I think. Um, but I, in this moment, I think it's the the group that has, I'll say, tribe. I guess it's possible to say that here. I mean, the the group that has, you know, latched their ideological vision or their program to fear of the state is the right. Um, and um, I, you know, particularly if you know the the left is in power. But I think that that's. The the left, and you can see this in European countries where there's much more trust of government, and you know they, we see this with respect to the coronavirus response. It's the countries that are have more social democracy, um, socialism. Uh, th- those types of countries tend to be much more uh, uh, favorable to okay. We're going to wear masks. We're doing social distancing. We're going to stay at home. We're going to get tested. We're going to do all this stuff. Um, it's a, it's a different relationship. Yeah, part of the problem that we're having as a country here um, over this mask um, and you know debate, as it, as it were, um, dealing with Corona is is that tension, is the the fear. I just saw something today. In fact, somebody uh, somebody said, "Why aren't you wearing a mask?" He goes, "It's not a mask. It's a muzzle." Um, that's that kind of for me. That kind of sums it up. It's like they're. They see that if you say, you know, wear a mask for public safety, it's like you're infringing upon my rights. And the next step is, you know, you don't want the government telling us what to do. And we've got we've got enough of that um, going on right now. That's pretty much what's happening. It's like I don't want to tell that we have people who are leading this country not wanting to lead because they don't want to be seen as being um, sort of, you know, too heavy handed. And so they want to leave it up to the states and they want to leave it up to local communities to make these decisions that really at this time uh, require a collective response. I mean, we can't we can't put this fire out, you know, uh, one at a time. We have to do it together. 
Well, a couple things. In terms of Europe and the socialism, as far as protection laws, Germany is so far ahead of us on privacy protection, it's not funny. I mean, they, they find uh, Facebook a literal, oh, I think it was Facebook, a literal fortune. No, maybe I think it was Amazon, actually, now I think. It was what came out of uh, Echo or whatever that uh, uh, was released. So, uh, man, they don't mess around there. And you don't, you don't see our government going after any of these entities when they uh, say, oops, sorry. Right, and I guess that's uh, it's probably at the heart of why I wanted to try to balance that out, the fear of government versus the fear of the private sector. I mean, we've there. I mean, we don't talk about it much in our, our society. That's, you know, we you know, we we understand we are born out of a response to um, yeah, a tyranny of a, you know, of a, of a state that was in control of us that would didn't give us our, our freedom, our democracy, our liberty. Um, and now we're seeing a similar sort of process t- taking place with respect to corporations. The corporations, there's all kinds of stuff being written. We don't have a, we don't have capitalism or free market capitalism when you just have one or two um, major players that dictate. In Europe, I think they're much more, not every country, of course, I'm not speaking broadly, but um, you mentioned uh, Germany and, and several of those the larger economies there. They, they're conscious of that. They're aware of the relationship between the state and capital, um, the company, the corporations. So if they're much, they have, they have the worker, the working class interest and the people's interest and the, the, the interest of a democracy much more at, uh, uh, front and center than I think we do. We have the interest of capital and quote unquote freedom to make a profit and, and, you know, consequences be damned. It's, it's, we have seen this. We've, we're living it right now. We don't have competition. You can't choose which cable company you want. There might be two if you're lucky. Um, in some of the places, you can't choose at all. There might not be anything because it's not profitable. And then when companies come in or when the state or the city or the county comes in and says, well, we're going to give our citizens access to broadband, then the, then the corporations come in and sue and, and try to prevent that because it's competition. It's unfair. So yeah. we don't, we, we're only looking at the, the state portion, which is a legitimate risk. I mean, uh, as democracies go, I mean, it is, that is, the founders were afraid of that. That's why they, they wrote the constitution the way they did. They were afraid of the corrupting power of the state. But there is the flip side. It's not just we just never talk, seem to talk about that other side of the equation, that if we just let the market work, they're ultimately going to be monopolistic and they will have tremendous amount of power in the political arena and the economic arena. And that's what we're finding. Well, it's interesting you talk about uh, the corporatocracy, as I would would call it, and uh, broadband is my passion, other than soul oldies, but obscure soul. (laughs) Other than that, it's broadband. And I am a woman who actually moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, because of EPB, and as you know, if you've studied it, it was the finest broadband in the the country, uh, done by the the city, the city of Chattanooga, the Electric Power Mm. Board. And uh, we got a gig symmetrical fiber to the house for $250 a month, and uh, it was just manna from heaven. And of course, we had uh, Comcast, Verizon, AT&T, Charter, and there were a few others that I can't remember who sued them and uh, mm-hmm. actually took them to court. And uh, they, uh, they wound up with a compromise saying that, well, where EPB has an electric footprint, they can offer the broadband, but where they don't, they can't because their government supported. Well, the upshot of this was some of the nice areas outside of Chattanooga, like Nickajack, it's a big dam and it's pretty and all, uh, that's charter uh, franchise. They don't serve it. 
So mm. the bottom line is they sued for something they don't serve. So uh, I I went crazy with this, and I would agree that the corporatocracy is absolutely a problem. Uh, on the other hand. I believe what our founders were trying to do, and I believe strongly in it, was United States was a plural noun. And the whole idea was to keep government at the local level. And we've mm. lost that over the last, last hundred years. And, you know, some people might argue that there were social benefits, but there were also social losses as well. And, uh, you know, by the way, every time you say democracy, I scrape myself off the ceiling, and you probably know why, right? No. Democracy. Democracy is mob. <laughs> a, a true democracy is mob rule. The majority can vote out the minority. And in a republic, well, it's a democratic republic. You know, my example, and you've probably heard it. Uh, there are uh, two wolves and a chicken discussing what's for dinner. Well, in a, a democracy, chicken's on the, on, the, on the menu. Well, in a republic, there are two wolves and a chicken deciding what's for dinner. And there's a rule of law that says you can't eat chicken. So I think part of what makes our country work is the republic portion of it that is trying, at least, to give protection to everybody in a democracy the idea of the majority can vote for the minority you know vote out the minority we're in trouble i'm sorry i i was just scraping myself off the ceiling um, okay tell me um no i just i i i hear that one a lot actually the the um republic versus democracy as if yeah. it's as if they are two competing ideas they are not um, we are a, dem- a democratic republic and so that's how we i mean from the founding, that's how right. it was. The you know, fifty percent plus one gets the vote or gets the the office, wins the election, that sort of thing. I mean, of course, we'll we'll bracket off the electoral college and that that sort of thing. It's not democratic, um, but it is. Um, but to 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 frame a republic form a republican form of government uh, as a uh, oppositionally to a democracy, I don't think is is accurate. I think that that you know we. We have a representative democracy. We are electing people um, in in these districts with a, a majority vote or a plur- plurality of votes, and that person gets to represent that district. It's a winner-take-all sort of thing. You're right. There could be the uh, tyranny of the majority, I guess, in that case. Um, but there can also be, you know, some. I mean, that's it is still a. It is still a form of democracy. It's not, I mean, I would not characterize democracy as mob rule because a pure democracy could be, you know, a, a, you know, family structure, maybe some adult children deciding uh, what, what we're going to do for the next family reunion. That's, you know, that's also democracy. A, a union, the union members deciding whether or not they're going to accept the contract. That's, that's a form of democracy. Some people are going to vote no. Some people are going to vote yes. Um, so, I, you know, that, 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 that analysis of it being like somehow separate from a democracy kind of gets us away from the our roots. I mean, yeah, we are a republic of fifty. Well, now fifty states, um, then fewer, <laughs> thirteen originally, but we we are we are still governed by the rule of law, right? And, and that and is a, a republic. Uh, yeah, it's also a democracy. Well, so the people who the people who who win those elections get to write the law, and those laws are then governing everyone. Um, but those so yeah, 
Those Go laws ahead. can't those laws can't violate the the Constitution, at least not on the face of it. And of course, we know the process for amending the Constitution. And yes, I would agree they're not separate. But what I hear all the time when I keep hearing democracy is we forget that the underpinning of what makes us free is that rule of law, because it would be very easy in society for the majority to obliterate the minority otherwise. I'll, I'll, I'll raise you one, if I may, be so sure. bold. Um, it's not rested on the rule of law. It's rest, it's rest on the belief that the rule of law rules us. That's different. That's why this moment that we are living through, you and I, um, are, is different. It is, there is a challenge to whether or not the rule of law is the final arbiter of what we are, how we live, how we live with one another. Um, and we're not... That is that is being called into question. I mean, as a sociologist, I know that the law is not sacrosanct. That is not some sort of you know uh, dictate brought you know from on high. It is a social construct. This is something that we, as imperfect beings, have constructed over hundreds of years and fashioned in such a way we have rules that say you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't, should do this, um, with respect to how you even adjudicate within the legal system. That's, that's a Byzantine set of rules that is completely uh, social, con- socially constructed. Um, but what really matters at the, at the end of the day is whether or not you and I believe the law is just or whether or not the law that as written applies to everyone equally. And we're seeing that that's not really the case. Um, and we can demonstrate that with empirical evidence, you know, all, all day. I mean, that's, that's part and parcel of social science. And um, we, can, we can demonstrate that we haven't done that. And now people are starting to question it. And when they start questioning it, that's when the social fabric unravels. It's not, you know, uh, right. it's not just, just the letter of the law. It's the whether or not we believe that this law is legitimate. And um, Absolutely. if we have... Forty percent of the population believes that it's not legitimate. Then we've got problems, and it's not you know, <laughs> it's not going to be a, a, a test on who believes in the rule of law. It's 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 our law versus their law, or something like that, and and that's when we get into real trouble. Well, you're a hundred percent right that. All of the society hangs on our communal belief that this is the way it is, so to speak. And not only with regard to law, but especially in the last more than 100 years, with regard to economy, with regard to money, with re- all of this. If, uh, if society suddenly says, I-, I don't accept this, then we have a problem. And that's probably the problem that we're going to be facing, and we're seeing it to a minor extent compared to where it could be. And it- it's probably the problem we're going to be facing. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know we were going to go there, but that's a fine place to go. And we're talking with Dr. Richard Sullivan, who is a sociologist. And you can go to richardsullivan.org if you want to weigh in, 888-876-5593. I'm Raleigh James, and this is WGN Radio. You know, I said at the beginning of this hour that I wasn't 100% sure what sociologists do, but we're talking with Dr. Richard Sullivan, and I think the discussion we've been having is exactly what sociologists do. And uh, we are looking at this uh, in, in a variety of ways. And we're, I was thinking about COVID-19 with regard to the individual impact, but with regard to the societal impact uh, may, even be, uh, may even be larger, to, uh, uh, to say the least. But dialing this back to individuals again, uh, Richard, 
I think one of the things that I hear often is that uh, people don't want to be isolated and things of this nature. And while I'm while I'm hearing that argument, I'm seeing in my mind many times you've been to a restaurant and there's a family of five and every one of them has their head buried in their telephone and they're not talking to each other. <laughs> more and you know, more and more you yeah. see the the lack the the digital divide almost just like this lack of interaction and this picks up on. About 35 years ago, when I was on the air in Denver, I had a guy on who designed restaurants. And so this is the mid-80s. And he had said to me that the call then was for restaurants where the acoustics were louder and louder so people couldn't talk to each other. And I remember, (laughs) by the way, it explained what I was feeling at restaurants. But I, I remember at the time finding this incredulous. But now with regard to the cell phones and all, here we are. And it seems like these people who are crying for, I want social contact, they're the very ones who are buried in their cell phone. What's going on? <laughs> they may be. Yeah, maybe they'll go to a restaurant with those little TVs in the, at the table. That's the, the, yeah, that's the epitome of that. It seems like the, uh, if you didn't bring your cell phone, you've got a TV right there. But yeah, it's, um, I, yeah we are, we're social creatures. We need to go out. But we also have these devices it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the, you know, it's a, it's a shiny device and there are people just like there are people designing restaurants so that we don't talk to each other. We eat fast and get the heck out, um, turn the tables over. Um, we also have people designing those cellular devices, those handheld devices that, you know, make it very difficult for the human creature to disengage from it. It's very, it's very, you know, titillating. It's very appealing. It's moving. It's, it's giving you little hits of dopamine. Um, and it's hard to put it down. It's like, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about there. Those, there are folks who are making their living right now, trying to figure out new ways to make that device harder and harder to put it down. Meanwhile, (laughs) as you, as you point out, it's, it's having some social consequences, um, for our, our human, um, connections. It really is. We've got Paul in Naperville. Welcome to WGN Radio. Thank you. Good evening. This is an interesting, if somewhat complicated and widespread conversation. I just have a couple of questions. What do you call the government that is run by the minority leader in the election? Where does where does that go? I'm I'm not fully understanding the question. Are you? But he he was the minority winner uh, in vote. Well, he was yeah, the I, he was the electoral college winner, and that's the discussion there. And then you get into whether that's a necessary component, which I have a feeling uh, Dr. Sullivan would say it's not just guessing. And of course, I would say, oh yes, it is. No, you believe it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it it is it is uh, expressly not democratic. Um, if some segments of the the population can. You know, it's uh, to basically elect somebody who the majority of the people don't want. Um, I don't think that's a condition of republicanism, quite frankly. Um, but it, it is it is not democratic. It is an right. undemocratic feature of our government. Whether well, it doesn't matter what side of the line you're on, it's undemocratic. Here, here's so right. the right. Here's the argument. We will disagree. But see, I think United States is a plural noun. I think the federal government should have a very, very, very limited role in our government, and states should be the ruling authorities. So when you look at it that way, you don't want the populations, the mega populations of a few states, to determine the fates of all the states. Right. Well, we're all connected, though. If if each state had the capacity to print its own currency, 
and make its own rules that, you know, we'd have a much richer discussion, I think. But at this, we do live in a, in a, in a, a nation that has 50 you know, provinces, if you will. And um, there are problems that need to be handled as a whole. And it, to, to treat it as if, you know, 50, there are 50 different unique countries or nation states, um, I, I don't, that may have been possible 200 years ago, but I, I don't right. see that um, today. But uh, you're right, we maybe disagree about that. Right, but you're right about uh, since the mid-1800s, uh, one by one, we have in fact increased the federal government tremendously during the pr- Depression, tremendously during the LBJ years, and, and in other points as well, to the point that now the states do not operate autonomously. And so then you get into the discussion, do you correct? what those our framers would find to be a wrong with another wrong and you know maybe the answer maybe the answer is yes but you know we'd have a rousing debate because you'd come down on that side and i'd say no no so uh, there you there you have it but let let me ask you this paul paul in neighborville what do you think um it it it, you know the initial um if i remember my grade school uh government Correctly, uh, initially the government was supposed to provide defense and uh, had some economic functions, but I, I think that world is gone. That ship has sailed. Okay, so you think you think the fact that that has been incrementally lessened and the federal government is therefore strengthened that and now maybe it's time to say, okay, we're going to look at this as a strong federal government and do away with the electoral college. Would you vote for that? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Well, you and uh, you and uh, Dr. Sullivan are going to be on one side of the aisle, and I'm going to be on the other. So, so in, in, in a de- by the way, in a democracy, I just lost. But Paul, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. All right. So we're talking with sociologist Dr. Richard Sullivan, who is just a delight, and it's actually more fun to disagree than agree. I do think. I'm Raleigh James, and this is a WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and I'm talking to sociologist Dr. Richard Sullivan on WGN Radio, and you're welcome to join us at 888-876-5593. And uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating discussion when we have it here in terms of in the abstract, but for many of people right now, it's becoming direct and personal. Where do you see this going? This being the, the- COVID, um, what's going to happen with the, with the pandemic? Right. Well, the pandemic and, you know, I, th- I think they're somewhat loosely tied because I think this whole stay at home stuff has gotten people in a different mentality. And then on top of it, you have the backdrop of the horror of uh, Minneapolis and the reality that while that's horrible to witness, it's not an isolated example. And mm-hmm. you've got people who were, and, you know, that's probably the biggest part of it at all. And when I look at that situation, by the way, as an aside, I'm less concerned about those four Cretans than I am about the situation, their superiors, that allowed them to think that that was okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there, are, there are layers and layers and layers of this. And I wonder what's happening. And why I ask that question is, in my mind, you know, you're not going to legislate 
human condition. You're not going to legislate what's in a man or a woman's heart. And and to that end, we'd love to. And yes, you can control behavior, but in terms of attitudes and all that, uh, we'd all like to wave a wand and have things be different, but life doesn't work like that, unfortunately. And the human mm-hmm. condition is fairly unchanging. You know, I remember first time I read Heinrich Ibsen when I was in high school, I said, my God, the doll's house, they were talking about this then. You know, so that kind of stuff. So with all that in mind and that's that's a big mouthful but you see where i'm going what's the upshot of all this well i i again i i mentioned this at the outset that this is um this is why sociology is important if i can blow our (laughs) my own horn or our own horn it's not my discipline but it's it's it is um it is a perspective that i think uh, lends itself uh beautifully to this type of moment it doesn't mean that we have all the answers um uh, no one has the answers um, but a, a way of looking at what's happening um we can look at it and be afraid you're seeing a lot of that your uh the social change is very unsettling to people uh we are social creatures we're also habitual here we are used to, to following the ruts in the road that we found find ourselves in uh and so when those those tracks, you know, deviate or get washed out and we don't know which way is up or which way is down or, you know, what's right and what's wrong, um, it's harder to, you know, to operate in a society and to to navigate it. And that's what people are feeling uh, now. That's, yes. a, that's at the heart of the social dis-ease. Um, but that's also a, you know, it's a scary time for a lot of people and um, for maybe for everyone there at some level, but it's also a hopeful time. And I think that's one of the things that I'm seeing from this change is very difficult. Social change is oh, very yes. difficult. Uh, there are institutions in place. You mentioned the law earlier on um, the legal system. We're all confined by these parameters uh, that will take a long time to change. And social change really happens in these, uh, you know, the, the big flashpoints, the, the, the moments when, the rest of us are, you know, the entire society is in, in flux right now, and something happens. I mean, these uh, police killings have had happened before, and um, but why did this one set off the the the, um, the protests and whatnot? It, and part of it, again, I'm not saying that I have the answer, but right. uh, it is it is a it is a combination of things that the people are unsettled. They already don't know. It's already enough is enough. We see the disproportionate impact of the COVID uh, virus on uh, people of color in this country. And then that, that gets us into a discussion of health care, access to health care and, and these inequities and how long these inequities have been in place. And um, that's, that's a, a, mo- a hopeful moment as far as I'm concerned. It's like, it's, it's scary. It could go, it, there's no, there's no guarantees here. No. Um, people have to get out and they have to participate. And I think that was what was so neat about neat. That's an understatement. It was so <laughs> encouraging to see um, so many people from across the country in small towns and big towns, big cities and um, coming out and, and demonstrating with their feet and, uh, yeah, you're right. Hearts and minds aren't going to be legislated to, and laws aren't going to change those. But your neighbor um, going out and saying, "This, I've had enough. This is not right." Yeah. Um, no. That's what's going to change it, and that's what does change it. And you're right, by the way, that the change is uh, is something that that people not only fear, they downright dread it. And uh, but it will change in a flashpoint. But I could go on and on. And Doc in Missouri wants to hang in here, so weigh in, Doc. What's up? Uh, 
I have a question about this rule of law. I, I drive to St. Louis five nights a week from Kansas City. Rioting there greatly affected me for a couple of nights. It's affected me in Kansas City. And I just like both of your uh, reaction to the fact that our, those people entrusted with enforcing the law have abdicated their responsibility. The first night in Minneapolis when they allowed those people to burn and loot that target, then they went over and they burnt a low-income housing project that was near completion. That was $35 million of total loss. Now I heard this week the total damage in, in Minnesota, $500 million. And I said that night, this is going to spread all across the country, and it has. And there are people who say, well, people want to chaos so Trump won't get reelected. It's much more than that. But city after city after city, some of this stuff, it's like, why not let the police do their job? And why on earth does anybody protest after dark? Now, by the I way, this is great, but you are the definition of frustration for me because I have run out of time and you've just given me an hour-long show. <laughs> you need to call earlier next time, earlier. And well, by, I, by, I was trying to call the, the station number and then I heard you say that 888 number, so I yeah. certainly will, but... This is something right. I would I would like uh, to get into with you, Raleigh. I, I absolutely want to do that. And by the way, thank you for being out on the road. I appreciate it. All right. All right. So we'll, we'll talk about this another night. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't believe it, Doctor Sullivan. <laughs> That's, That's a big that, question. Yeah, That's a big yeah, question. I, yeah, right, exactly. And the ten second soundbite says, well, the ten second soundbite says Richard Sullivan dot org is the website and we'll pick it up next time with Doc's question. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.